conflict is, you know, is a part of everyday life, yet very few young people actually get trained. Why isn't this the standard in all schools? Conflict resolution must be regarded as an important educational priority. Welcome to Q Witness, the podcast from Quakers in Britain all about taking action for peace. This episode we're talking about educating for peace through conflict resolution. Welcome to Q Witness. Thanks for everyone who's listened to us so far, whether you found us on iTunes, SoundCloud or Quaker.org.uk. Thanks as well if you've liked us or rated us. For example, thanks to Jaysdale Mufflin who said, Q Witness is a beautiful podcast, informative, hopeful and entertaining. If you're interested in sustainability, equality, peacework or just learning more about Quakers, it's for you. Thanks Jay, I'll take that. So onward, in this episode we're going to explore a particular aspect of peace education, conflict resolution education. It's actually my work, so it should be fun. And I'll be chatting to my colleague Izzy Cartwright. We'll be hearing from Tom Leimdorfer, the Quaker who helped pioneer this work in the 1980s and 90s, and Sarah Hargill, who runs Peacemakers, which is transforming schools in the West Midlands right now. But I wanted to start the show with Kezia. Kezia is a sixth former and a peer mediator at Bacon's College, a secondary school that's been running peer mediation for 10 years. What's peer mediation? It's conflict resolution for young people, run by young people. And here, Kezia is addressing the all-party parliamentary group on alternative dispute resolution. The views are her own, and they're not an official statement or record of the Houses of Parliament, but they're great words nonetheless. So I'm going to talk about the impact on school that mediation's had. We've mentioned a lot about safety. Um, mediation creates a safe space for the younger students to discuss conflict because they feel that, be, that they are being listened to. We make it clear to them that we are students ourselves. We're not there to tell anyone off. That's not our role at, at all. Um, and mediation also creates a safe space for everyone involved. As we mentioned earlier, perpetrators are less likely to reoffend when they see the impact that their actions have had on the other person. And so when we bring the two students into the room, we're not there to point fingers and tell, like, there's some scenarios where, like, year seven would be arguing over who stole whose pencil. And to us, that seems ridiculous, why are you arguing? But actually, to them, this is something extremely important. And we have to have the emotional maturity to be able to deal with these cases and understand from the child's point of view, why they want to go through mediation. Mediation also makes teachers' lives easier. I mean, literally, if the students, if we didn't take the students out of class and didn't deal with the conflict, then the teacher would have to take out the student, it would disrupt the class, and the teachers have to focus so much attention onto the students that are disrupting the lessons when we have the opportunity to deal with it outside the class. And also, practically, the school runs much more effectively with a mediation Centre. Um, I'm also going to talk about the impact on the sexual mediators and myself personally. I would be lying if I didn't say that I've learned invaluable skills for life. My confidence has grown so much in doing mediation. We mediate five days a week. There's, you know, nearly at least once a week you'll have a case, and every case you grow more experience, you learn so much more about yourself and the students. and. And what I've learned is how I can deal with conflict in my life. Before, I might have been quite biased or gone straight into attack mode. But from being a mediator, being a mediator myself, I can be impartial and try and be neutral. And I can take myself out of the situation. 
It's also given me an insight into real-world conflict, but I think the most important thing for me is that mediation in Bacon's has worked for 10 years. It didn't start as the fantastic thing it is today, of course not. It started as we didn't really know how to work with it, etc. But it's a growing process and it's happened because mediation is a core part of our school. I think that's why it works so well. For a lot of other schools, mediation is a side thing, it's something not important. But it works so well in Bacon's because we value it so much and all the teachers are on board. Ellis, I think you mentioned earlier, it's so important when all the staff members understand. Because if we went into the lesson asking to take the students out and they're saying, oh, mediation, there's no point, they need to learn maths. Of course they need to learn maths, that's why they're in school to learn. But school is not just about academia, it's also about a holistic approach. But again, I think the most important thing for me is that mediation in Bacon's, it's been working for 10 years, we've trained over 160 mediators. And this has educated a generation that sees mediation as the first form of conflict resolution, rather than going straight into fighting or straight into war. And I think that is something that's so important. That's why I truly believe that mediation should be implemented into schools and education, because you're educating a whole generation of people who don't go straight into fighting. What I also mentioned about community cases, I've been so privileged to have the opportunity to mediate adults. Um, and I've been able to share the same skills I use working with the pupils as the adults. Before I went in, I was terrified. I thought, why would these grown men and women listen to me? I'm 17 years old. But actually, when I went in there, I didn't feel that scared because, if I'm being honest, they acted the same as the students I'd worked with. <laughs> so, for me, it was very similar skills that I used. But it also showed the universality of mediation. It can be applied to a range of different contexts and people. The same cases that I've done from year 7 to year 10s, I applied to community cases. I worked with the Muslim Forum with Dave. Um, there was a large group of um, Muslims, there was conflict between them. Um, and it's something that, it been going off two years, so I knew that me going into that session for a few hours wouldn't resolve it straight away. But because I was an independent and external, for me, I think for them, seeing a 17-year-old notice things that actually brought them together rather than divided them, helped the mediation process move on quicker. I think also, to end, the most important thing is, why isn't this a standard in all schools? Why isn't mediation seen as a necessity? Why isn't mediation seen as a vital component into the workings of everyday life in school? Um, I think you can tell that it's a subject that we all feel very passionate about, um, especially at Bacon's, because it's worked so well, because we are all on board with it. But I'd like to say thank you so much for the opportunity to listen to us today, um, and we're really keen to answer lots of questions later. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's absolutely inspirational. So when I get in difficulties, I know who to call on. <laughs> so that's the impact peer mediation can have in a secondary school. Conflict resolution so powerful that it's actually being exported as peacemaking in the whole community. So let's find out a bit more about peace education. Now, I would like to introduce my mentor and friend and inspiration for the work I do, but we'll look forward to that in a future podcast. Today I'm here with Isabel Cartwright. <laughs> Hi Alice, good to be here. 
Um, Izzy uh, is a great inspiration to me and she is the manager for the Peace Education Programme at Quakers in Britain, which I also work for. So it's nice to actually have a chance to talk about our own work together. Yeah, well the feeling's mutual so we can explore the issue together. When we're talking about peace education, what are we going on about? Peace education helps children and young people develop the values, attitudes, knowledge and skills that we all need to be peacemakers. So it's a broad spectrum from feeling good about yourself, um, which can be described as inner peace, having good self-esteem, being able to affirm others, um, which moves into interpersonal peace, you know, the skills to resolve conflict and communicate effectively, through to being part of a thriving community and caring about others' sense of justice, so that's kind of peace in your community, Mm. and then right through to peace in the kind of wider world, so issues of war and and justice on a bigger scale. It's not just about stopping the bad things, is it? It's, it's not just about uh, stopping conflict. Yeah, we promote um, a sort of an idea of peace, um, which we talk about as positive peace, which is an idea mm-hmm. Johan Galtum, one of the sort of founding fathers of peace studies, came up with a long time ago. Um, and that's the idea that peace is much more than just the absence of conflict. Because you could look out onto a playground and there might not be any obvious um, visible conflict, but at the same time, children wouldn't necessarily be being respected, affirmed, mm. feeling good about themselves. Having um, a sense of justice in their yeah, lives. So yeah, so positive peace is absolutely about them being able to kind of live their human rights um, and about a kind of just and fair peace. We're talking about conflict resolution in this episode, which is in a sense focusing more on negative peace because that's responding to conflict to try and prevent it from being harmful. But also you'd hope the outcome would be a just one, a fairer one than if you didn't enter into it like that. Yeah, I think if you've got the sort of skills and and lens of looking at conflict and more understanding of it, then it has a really positive effect on your life and it can actually be proactive, it can help sort of head off conflict situations if you're uh, sensitive to kind of what escalates conflict or you're aware of um, how to kind of Mm. use language that's more neutral rather than inflammatory. Yeah, well in fact there's a a great section of faith and practice that we both like and use quite a lot in this work, isn't there? And it's actually by Tom Leindorfer and Sue Bowers and I was lucky enough to speak to Tom down the line a couple of days ago to record him reading it for himself. My name is Tom Leimdorfer, Quaker Faith and Practice, paragraph 2454, which wrote together with Sue Bowers, who sadly died last year. We wrote this in 1990. Conflict is a part of life, a necessary result of the varying needs, aims and perspectives of individuals and communities. It is part of our daily experience both directly and through television and other news media. The ethos of the home, school or workplace will provide some rules, spoken or unspoken, for handling conflict situations. However, these often contradict each other, and the pressures from friends and peer groups can work against the official ways of handling conflict. Society educates young people at best haphazardly and at worst, quite destructively, as far as conflict is concerned. From an early age, people are led to think that conflicts should be settled by someone in authority, the parent, the teacher, the head teacher, the gang leader, the policeman, the judge, the boss, the president. If there is nobody to arbitrate, then the strongest will win and the weaker will lose. Traditionally, little encouragement has been given to young people to take responsibility for resolving conflict. 
to look for win-win solutions. Yet the way in which young people learn to respond to conflict will have a pervasive effect both on the quality of their personal lives and on the prospects for society as a whole. Affirming the personal value of each individual, encouraging mutual respect, and consciously developing the skills and attitudes involved in creative conflict resolution must be regarded as an important educational priority. Sue Bars and Tom Leimdorfer, 1990. Thank you for reading that, Tom. That's something that Izzy and I use in our work today, promoting peace education a lot, both talking about it to Quakers, but also uh, inspiring work in schools. So that was in 1990. Tell us about what kind of work you were doing at the time. Well, 1990 was the year when Sue Bars and I ran two courses in, in conflict resolution and it was very much part of the, of the time of easing uh, relations in the Cold War. We were also doing a lot of work about bullying in schools, school exclusions around the UK. It, it was challenging, interesting work, and some of it very inspiring because you're working with people who were experiencing um, both violence um, locally, uh, also society changes. Do you think you were doing something that was quite countercultural at the time? Certainly, as, as, as far as mainstream culture is concerned, it was uh, countercultural. But I think one needs to understand, you know, you can find people who are very open to these ideas. And it's not mm. surprising that they tend to be either educators or social workers or people involved in um, health or mental health problems because um, there were a lot of questions being asked also about how we treat people with disabilities, with special educational needs, and uh, the whole sort of questioning of, uh, of different aspects of, of human rights. So, you know, you, you could find people who, who had been thinking along these lines and who were very open to the kind of ideas we were putting forward, but they wouldn't, you know, they, they had the same sort of difficulties in disseminating it widely where they were living as um, as many of us had in the UK because after all it hasn't become common currency here even to this day. And um, why do you think it is that conflict resolution continues to be relevant today? I think it is centered around giving people techniques to rule with a sense of hope. I mean I expressed it once by saying that Peace education should serve to enable particularly young people today to face the future with a, with a sense of hope rather than despair. Hope is often associated with unrealistic visions of having no problems, of living happily ever after in effortless harmony and, and prosperity. And as that hope is continually unfulfilled, then people turn again to despair and to distrust and worst, even to violence. Um, real hope must be built on learning to face problems creatively and I think this is what peace education is about I think that's brilliantly expressed thank you hey, thank you Tom Leindorfi for your time well thank you Alice Tom was actually himself, he came to England as a teenage refugee from Hungary in 1956 in his career, including being a science teacher and a secondary head teacher. Today he's working as a local authority councillor. So Izzy, what are you thinking listening to Tom there? 
I'm just thinking about how crazy it is that conflict is, you know, is a part of everyday life, yet very few young people actually get trained in in handling it and understanding it. Uh, similarly, teachers and youth workers, there's not much emphasis on, on teaching conflict resolution skills and understanding, and that is changing, and there are you know, examples of that growing and flourishing, but we still need to kind of invest in the skills for peace and give young people the opportunity to resolve their own conflicts. Mm. You know, as as it says, um, it's, you know, not always encouraging young people to think they have to refer to an authority figure. That takes away the, the you know, the power from them. But why do you think it is that Quakers are particularly sort of invested in this kind of work over the years? Well, I guess it's because Quakers believe that love is at the heart of existence and that all human beings are unique and equal and there's that of God in everyone. Um, and so that in turn leads Quakers to renounce violence and work actively for peace. Um, so active peace work needs to happen at all levels of society and, and, and you know, working to help young people and children develop the skills for conflict resolution and working towards a more peaceful world is, is an extension of that. It's just ingrained in our society that, uh, you know, adults are the ones that sort things out and have the power and when kind of push comes to shove, adults kind of make decisions and, and sort of arbitrate. But the thing is, when an adult arbitrates um, in a conflict situation, it it takes the story away from the young people and it's actually much harder to engage mm. with a kind of resolution if you haven't come up with it yourself. So Quakers have done a lot to support this kind of work, but it, it's not at all an exclusively Quaker thing, is it? The, the, the skills and approaches are something that are, are universal. Yeah, and we obviously work with a lot of different partners and organisations who promote conflict resolution and, and aren't necessarily Quaker, um, but Quakers do have a very kind of rich um, history of work in this area. So some of our work is with Quakers across the country supporting their projects, but also obviously we work with a lot of other organisations. Yeah, and to an extent we have to work with other people to support conflict resolution education, don't we? Because uh, great as we are, we can't do it all by ourselves. Oh, it's really important. So for example, um, some Quakers in Mid Wales decided they wanted to try and offer um, peace education in local primary schools. So we shared materials with them and um, the brilliant coordinator, Helen Porter, developed a six-week programme um, and that's been really popular in primary schools. And one bit of what they offer is a bit of um, training around peer mediation, a kind mm. of introduction to it. Um, then they came back to us saying, would we offer a bit more training, didn't they? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a trip to Wales, isn't it? It was so a it was trip to beautiful Newtown and worked for two days with about 20 of the volunteers. Yeah, um, I'm really impressed by the, the number of people who have been engaged by that. And they, they include teachers and sort of volunteers who have come to it for the first time. So it shows you can come from a lot of different backgrounds and still connect with this work. Definitely. I think a lot of the volunteers had some experience of some kind of work with mm. children and young people, but often that varied a bit. Um, and yeah, now, and Quakers and non-Quakers as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and now they offer the schools, uh, or some of the volunteers anyway, offer the schools the basic programme, and then on top of that they offer to train children in peer mediation so that the schools can now develop their own mm. peer mediation programmes. And then we also obviously work with organisations and, and networks like the Peer Mediation Network, because that brings together people, sometimes working on their own um, in an mm. area quite isolated to develop conflict resolution education. And so I think it's a bit of a lifeline to bring those um, individuals and groups together. Yeah, and they support each other a lot. Like you say, some of them are, are, are quite well established like um, there's Crest in Sheffield that was started by Quakers and Peacemakers in Birmingham but yeah down to individual freelance practitioners who are just going on a school by school basis it's uh, because we around the country it's so unequal in terms of the support and organizations especially now local authorities can't do as much 
Yeah, and in the past, sometimes mediation, community mediation services also supported school mediation mm. services, but I think there's been less funding and given to support that. So where there's schools actually wanting conflict resolution education and there's no one to offer it, mm. um, that's a situation to me is just... Uh, you know, unbearable. Um, <laughs> so we would always try and work with anybody locally to then train them up so they could go and offer mm. um, that support. And it was the Peer Mediation Network who supported the event in Parliament that you heard yeah, about earlier, yeah. and the the young person speaking so brilliantly about peer mediation. Yeah, Kezia, and and the the thing that that school shows as well, Bacon's College, is that it's worth the investment because. Lots of schools might see something like conflict resolution as a nice bolt-on, but actually they've really committed, like you say, they're working with a local community mediation service, Southwark Mediation, um, and uh, they, they've they invested probably um, over 20 grand a year, which might sound very expensive in terms of like your school budget, but for a secondary school, that's less than a member of staff, but they've got this whole school service that is going out to the community, so cost-benefit-wise, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely, and you'd probably have a member of staff spending all their time resolving more serious conflicts yeah. if you didn't have the peer mediators. And in terms of promoting um, sort of this kind of impact of conflict resolution education, we do you know, try and work with um, the politicians, the UN, journalists to increase awareness. Um, and if you caught someone actually saying that was absolutely inspirational, you know, after Kezia was speaking, that was actually the Labour MP, Christina Rees, um, Shadow Justice Minister, and she actually said later at the event in Parliament, didn't she, um, that she'd like to see peer mediation in every school in Wales. Yeah, so we need to harness that. that well, Helen Porter's already on the case, isn't she? But there, there's, uh, there's still a bit of Wales left. Yeah, definitely. And so we, we work in a range of ways, I suppose, to promote um, conflict resolution education, and we recently made that submission to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child about the lack of government support. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting, That the things that they picked up in that. Yeah, they, I mean, they echoed a lot of our concerns, didn't they, and called quite strongly mm. on the government to intensify its efforts to tackle bullying and violence in schools, um, and they mentioned partly through human rights education and improving students' conflict resolution skills. So let's hope the government are listening. Yeah, yeah. So that's why Quakers are doing this kind of work, but why is it important to you as a peace education? Well, I suppose there's, there's widespread concern um, about violence in our schools and communities. Yet, you know, as we've said, the vast majority of children um, and young people get virtually no training in conflict resolution. Mm. So I just feel passionately about projects that build sort of conflict literacy um, and support children and young people um, to think about handling conflict and also how they can be sort of peacemakers um, kind of in the, in the wider world. Indeed, and one of the organisations that does that is Peacemakers in Berlin. And I spoke to Sarah Hargill, who is their director, about their work. I'm here with Sarah Hargill, the director of Peacemakers, long name West Midlands Quaker Peace Education Project, which in 2017 is celebrating its 30th anniversary. So Sarah, what, what is Peacemakers? Hi, uh, so Peacemakers is a project of Central England Area Quaker Meeting, and it's uh, set up to uh, deliver peace education in various ways in the region. And currently what we mostly do is work with schools uh, to help them become more peaceful places. And we do this in a variety of ways, working both with the children and the adults in schools, mostly set primary schools at the moment. And we um, deliver courses, we work with the schools longer term, uh, but all aimed at developing uh, peaceful relationships and uh, peaceful communities in schools. 
That seems quite unusual about it, actually, that you work with the children, but also you work with the adults in depth as well. Uh, yes, it is quite unusual. And we find it important because by working with the adults, you're really going to be working on developing the ethos and the systems and the policies and the practices in the school. But working directly with the children and the young people, it's also modelling our approach both to the young people themselves and to the adults who are working with them. And it's giving us great experience of what it's actually like to try and do the things we're recommending with the children and young people. And what is that approach then? Like, What does peacemakers look like in a school? So it can look like uh, various things. So we can do quite short um, work with the school where we might train a group of children to be peer mediators, for example. So this is children resolving conflicts for other young people Um, and we offer a three-day course to really train the mediators in the processes and in the skills for mediation and then helping the school set up a scheme. Um, We also have a peacemaker course which is 10 weeks long where we work in a circle with the teacher and the class and we focus on behaviour change skills development of the skills of peace so that's things like listening skills or cooperation skills, understanding conflict and knowing how to resolve conflict. We've been doing those two pieces of work for most of the 30 years that you've spoken about. And out of that, more recently, we've got some more school-wide projects that we're quite excited about. So one is a resource that we've developed called Learning for Peace, which is taking this uh, experience we've had of doing peacemakers over three decades and distilling it all into resource so that teachers can do it themselves in their schools. So it's a spiral curriculum um, that covers from reception through to year six and looks at different themes of peace. So it's, it's looking at pre- peace in a, it's looking at peace in a quite holistic way of inner peace, peaceful relationships, peaceful behaviours, peaceful communities, and has lots of games, activities and approaches that can be explored in the classroom to deepen people's understanding and practice of these. Yeah, there's a, there's a big toolkit that goes with it, isn't there? So you can find the right activity and resource to, to go with that. And, and when you say a spiral, that means those themes like peaceful relationships, you sort of revisit them again and again as people go through the school. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So in reception, you might look at listening in, in one way. And then by year four, you're looking at it in a deeper way of deeper understanding of what good listening and bad listening is. Um, but the themes kind of reappear at deeper levels mm. throughout the experience of the child in school. And when that's all working or when peacemakers is is working in a school what sort of change do you see what's the impact so the the children who've been having uh, peacemakers um, as throughout the school throughout their school life or through for many years of their school life the teachers report a great increase in what we might call emotional intelligence so this ability to understand their own feelings and their impact on other people and their ability to take the initiative to resolve their own conflicts is greatly increased and the teachers report that they themselves have feel more skilled in, in resolving conflicts but also um, they talk about new teachers coming in and talking about a much calmer atmosphere a much more um, peaceful atmosphere and that there is a sense of 
confidence amongst the children and young people that their conflicts will be resolved fairly, that they will be listened to, mm. because it's become such a part of the process, so that they know, and in fact, sometimes we have experiences, teachers say, and I was told off the other day, she said, you haven't done the questions. Because there's some, a set of questions that um, try and elicit both people's perspective and what's happened and what's needed that we encourage them to follow. Um, that's great, pupil voice, when this, the pupils are actually demanding it. It's that's like, right. We know we've got a process that we're entitled to here. That's right. So consistent throughout school. And that consistency is really important um, for people to feel safe and secure and listened to. And so this links into our other long-term programme, which is the whole school approach, whereby we do that work with the children and young people that I've talked about, but we also train all of the adults in the school in restorative approaches. What, what does that mean, restorative approaches? So restorative approaches is an alternative to a sort of uh, sanctions and rewards process. And it's when there... It's, it, first of all, it has a big emphasis on developing and maintaining relationships between everyone in the school. And then on top of that, it has um, particular processes for when things go wrong, for when there's conflict that involves everybody who's party to the conflict coming together, talking about what's happened, and together finding a solution to the problem. Great, it sounds amazing. And uh, <laughs> I, I know a little bit wherever I speak, because uh, listeners um, won't know, but uh, Sarah actually used to be my boss at Peacemakers mm. as well. I, I'm, one of the things I... It's going back a little bit now, isn't it? It is a while. One of the things that I was, was so impressed about was, yeah, that response of young people um, of, like, when you give them tools that uh, give them a voice in what's fair in their lives, um, they they really respond to that, even if the adults take a little bit longer to, to come round to that understanding of... of uh, yeah, of children pick it up so much quicker. Mm. And one of the things that the schools we've been working with in this longer-term way have reported is that it's been quite interesting learning for them. I think before they start, you talk to a school about, oh, we're going to teach more conflict resolution skills, and they have this maybe unrealistic expectation that they'll get rid of conflict. Mm. And, of course... Just abolish it. not going to happen and, and isn't a particularly good outcome because conflict is natural is normal but what they um, now report is that they see almost an increase in low-level conflict but far fewer conflicts developing so mm. what they think is happening is that things that would have been reported as more serious conflicts don't get to that stage so they go back into the lower level conflicts so those have increased because they're all staying at that level but far fewer are developing and getting entrenched or involving more and more people and becoming more complex or serious issues um, and so for that us that's a success because mm. as we said conflict is healthy yeah it's part of the, the churn of life yeah and it, it's uh, for the school I guess it's the difference between having to put lots of energy into keeping the peace like enforcing <laughs> the peace and, and and everyone being a, a peacemaker like a, yeah. like it says on the tin so You've been around for 30 years as, a, as an organisation. organisation. Yeah. <laughs> but to start with, I think the main person was also doing the training. And then when I came with a remit to develop the project, I, I had the first on-staff trainer, which happened to be you, didn't it, Alex? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that, that was probably the beginning of the golden age for the organisation, yeah, as I definitely. understand it. Well, I mean, it's not never quite reached that peak since no. <laughs> you left. But no, you do your best, you do your best. Uh, no, the, the work is actually amazing. 
interesting. Uh, I, I, I do miss it. So now the organisation's 30, you've got some funding this year to, to mark that, haven't you? Yes, we're going to have um, a, a special year this year of what we're calling an engagement strategy. So we would like to try and raise the profile of peace education in our work um, more broadly. So to talk to people about the need for it, its importance and its benefits, so that we can engage policymakers, politicians, educationalists more broadly on this issue um, as well as keep working in individual schools. That's great I think that's a a really great opportunity because um, this great work is happening but it's clearly not mainstreamed across the whole country so anything that raises the the profile of it is fantastic. So if if people want to find the resource you mentioned Learning for Peace or just to find out more about the Mm -hmm. organisation what can they do? Um, Best thing is to go to our website www.peacemakers.org.uk where there's a link to the book and there's also an outline of all of the the interventions we offer um, and some links to resources as well. Great. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank uh, you. And have, have a great anniversary. Thank you. So peacemakers are great, aren't they? Oh, definitely. I think the whole school approach is really important. I think it can be a bit of a disservice to to young people if you try and set up a peer mediation scheme in in a system that's really kind of punitive and actually the children aren't given the kind of the, the, the power to, to you know resolve conflicts. Um, it's got to kind of fit with the whole ethos of the school. Mm. So people listening will be thinking, this does sound amazing. I'm sure. So. What action can they take to further peace education, to further conflict resolution education? We're running an online course in September with the Woodbrook Quaker Study Centre. And that's open to anyone interested um, in, in peace education, kind of theory and practice. That'll be online uh, for about six weeks and it won't be expensive. So that's a, a good opportunity. They can also check out more about our work on the Quaker website, quaker.org.uk slash peace hyphen education. Or in terms of just taking action yourself, as it suggests in Vices and Queries, um, which for the non-Quakers listening is the much-loved first part of Quaker Faith and Practice, our book of Christian discipline. Um, It suggests that we all search out whatever in our own lives may contain the seeds of war. And a peace education activity is to think about that and then just pick one thing and try and do something about it. And that might be as practical as sharing your car or not using it or trying to build a bridge with someone who you've had a long-standing conflict with. But it's about looking at your own life and thinking, well, actually, what, what's something that I could address? Well, thanks for joining me for this podcast, Izzy. Oh, thank you. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Q Witness. If you'd like to find out more about how you can take action to support peace education, then get in touch with us. You can email peaceedu at quaker.org.uk. Uh, and you can subscribe to our newsletter, Educate and Disarm. But do uh, start a conversation with your local school as well. Find out what they're all doing and point them towards areas of support like the Peer Mediation Network. Thanks for listening. Go well, friends. <laughs>